This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers produced by Legal Aid New South Wales. We would like to begin by acknowledging that this episode was recorded on Aboriginal land. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay our respect to the elders of this land, both past and present, and to extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hello, my name is Kerry Wright, and I work in the Legal Aid New South Wales Community Legal Education Team. This episode was recorded on Thursday, 12 August 2021. The information discussed about shared parenting and contact between children and their parents and siblings is relevant to the public health orders currently in place in response to the COVID-19 situation in New South Wales. One of the reasonable excuses is where you've got children living in separate households from a parent or sibling, it's a reasonable excuse for a person to leave home for the purpose of giving effect to new or existing arrangements for access to or contact between children and parents. So what I'd say is that if you've got a shared care arrangement at the moment and you're wanting to facilitate that, that falls within one of the exceptions to leave your home at the moment under the public health orders. My guest today is Josh Mestroni from Southwest Sydney Legal Centre. Josh is a family lawyer. Hi, Josh. Hi, Kerry. Can you first tell us about your legal centre? Where are you based and who do you offer your services to? We're based in Southwest Sydney and that encompasses a lot of the hotspots at the moment, the Fairfield, Canterbury, Bankstown and Liverpool areas. We direct our services to low to moderate income earners and people who work and live within that catchment area. Okay. And what does a typical day look like for you at the moment? We're a generalist legal service. So basically for me at the moment, I'm working from home. So I give telephone advice across a number of different areas, family law, consumer law, wills and estates. And we also do a bit of representation work with courts and tribunals. And we're also doing some remote mediations at the moment as well. Right. We recently ran a webinar for community workers about COVID-19 public health order fines and hotel quarantine fees. And we got a few questions about family law issues, particularly around separated parents and parenting arrangements during these COVID-19 restrictions. So I invited Josh to join us to have a chat and answer these questions. So Josh, what do the public health orders say about families and shared care arrangements? This is very obviously topical. If you're looking at the actual public health order that applies at the moment within Greater Sydney, there's a list of reasonable excuses. One of the reasonable excuses is where you've got children living in separate households from a parent or sibling, it's a reasonable excuse for a person to leave home for the purpose of giving effect to new or existing arrangements for access to or contact between children and parents. So... I guess what I'd say is that if you've got a shared care arrangement at the moment and you're wanting to facilitate that, that falls within one of the exceptions to leave your home at the moment under the public health orders. Okay, and as you've said, the public health order states to give effect to new or existing arrangements, but there's no mention of it being legal. What does this mean for parents? So that's a very good question. Our interpretation of that, the fact that it doesn't specifically refer to any legal or formal arrangements means that 
it just has to be some type of agreement between parents. So it doesn't have to be a formal or legal agreement. It doesn't have to be a parenting plan or court order, I guess is what I'm saying. What we would recommend though, is because at the moment, police have powers to stop someone and ask for proof of why they've left their residence and proof of their identity. What we'd be saying is that parents should at least have something in writing to confirm what the agreed arrangement is. And that could be as simple as just uh, text messages exchanged between parents or maybe an email, something like that, but just something in writing so they have that proof. Definitely no requirement for it to be a formal arrangement. And what about young people under 18 who may move independently between homes to see their parent, the other parent or siblings? So again, I would say that this is very clearly covered by the exception because if you read the full reasonable excuse, it does include contact not just between parents and children, but also between children and siblings. So if you have a sibling that's living in a separate household and you're under 18, then you should fall within that exception. I guess if you're over 18, then you'd probably need to rely on a single bubble situation to have contact with someone from your parents' household. And should those young people under 18, should they carry some sort of like you said, suggested a text message or something in writing to say why they're moving around? Definitely. So I would recommend that they have the same. So at least they have their proof of address, proof of identity, and also proof of what the arrangement is. And that could just be a text about, oh, you know, I'm coming this morning. And then just a text back saying, yep, okay, we'll expect you at this time or what have you. Okay. And what if one parent lives in a public health order restricted area and has to leave the area to move children uh, to drop them to another parent who may not live in a restricted area and vice versa? What we'd say is that if you're looking at purely from what does the public health order allow, the situation probably is no different legally. But obviously, as a parent, you're going to be very concerned about, you know, taking your kids into a high exposure area if that's not normally where they are. So I guess what we'd be recommending is is a sensible measure. So at the moment, if you're leaving one of the highly infectious or exposed LGAs at local government areas at the moment, you're required to do, for work, you're required to do a test every 72 hours. So what we'd be saying is that even though it's not a requirement, it might be sensible just in terms of making sure that you and your kids are safe, that if you are frequently moving in and out of one of those high exposure LGAs, that you would really consider doing a COVID test for you and potentially also your child before you're leaving that area, just because you don't want to accidentally or inadvertently expose anyone to COVID if you can avoid it at the moment. But that is not, that's not what is required, but it's just a very strong suggestion. Mm. So what if one parent's required to visit their children at their ex-partner's location and it's in a restricted area or they have to leave a restricted area and visit the children in a non-restricted area? Again, this is fairly clearly stated in the public health order, but one of the things, if you're visiting a, um, so normally you can't visit, visit someone's residence, but it specifically says you're not considered to be a visitor as such 
if you're visiting someone for the purpose of giving effect to new or existing arrangements. So if the arrangement was that maybe a father is normally seeing their child at the mother's address in one of these LGA areas, that arrangement could continue under that reasonable excuse. They'd have a reasonable excuse. And again, I would be saying the same sorts of things about potentially considering if you're leaving a infectious LGA, getting that test and at least having proof of what the arrangement is in writing. And also you need to be carrying your um, proof of residence or ID around with you. And what if parenting arrangements involve the children travelling interstate, say, for example, the school holidays coming up to stay with another parent? What should parents be thinking about now in that regard? If parents have these sorts of arrangements, and that could be formal or informal, I think what they need to understand is that it may not be possible or there may be further steps involved in moving interstate. Victoria, for example, you need to actually apply for a permit and you can only successfully apply if you meet certain criteria. And the rules for going to different states are very different. What I would be doing would be checking that health information for each state, seeing what's required, but then also understanding that this is a time where, particularly if you're living in one of these six or so different local government areas with the special restrictions, that you may not be able to travel interstate, at least in the current climate. And so it's something where parents are going to have to try and negotiate a workaround. They're going to have to negotiate potentially make-up time, particularly if we're talking about the coming school holidays, or at least they need to really start working on trying to get a travel permit immediately. But I think if parents are not able to be flexible or not able to negotiate, that's where, unfortunately, I guess the only option they might have would be to to pursue legal avenues. And at the moment, the Family Court and Federal Circuit Court are operating a dedicated COVID-19 list dealing with situations like this where parents have tried to work out workarounds, but but they've been unable, unsuccessful. They can then apply to the court and the court's been directed to give these sorts of matters priority. And one of the types of matters they flagged are matters just like this where people are living interstate and there are Mm -hmm. children having to move between states. So it's definitely a big problem, but at the moment parents might just need to accept that there may not be a, a workaround and they might just need to make up time at a later point. And what if one of the parents wants to vary the parenting agreement because they're worried about the children moving around or the current arrangements can't actually be met under the public health orders? That's a really good question. The first situation is where there's a dispute. So in terms of going back to when you would have a reasonable excuse, the bare requirement is that you've got to at least have an arrangement. So there can't be an arrangement where there's no agreement between the parents. So If all you have at the moment is a verbal agreement between the two of you or, you know, maybe just an informal agreement and one of the parents is saying, I don't feel comfortable sending our kids into one of the hotspots at the moment, technically that's a situation where if you can't resolve that between yourselves, we would say that's probably where you need to, again, look to a legal pathway and that could be something like getting some legal advice, mediation or 
potentially considering an urgent application to the court, but it will depend on the circumstances. And to answer the question in relation to the second situation you were talking about, uh, Kerry, where you might have a current arrangement, and that could include if you have court orders and because of the public health order, those court orders are no longer able to operate in the way that they were intended. We've already talked a bit about if that provides for moving between states. But other sorts of things that could come up are sometimes people have arrangements for supervised contact. A lot of the supervised contact centres are no longer operating or no longer doing face-to-face visits. Or maybe there are arrangements where people would have met up at an entertainment facility or like an arcade or something like that. Those places are closed now. So again, in that situation, even where you've got a court order, there's actually no way to really work around that unless the parents are able to be flexible and negotiate a variation. So if they're not able to do that, that's a situation where, as I said before, there's that dedicated COVID-19 list. And if parents have shown that they've tried to negotiate some sort of resolution, then you can file in this list and your matter's given a bit of priority. So the COVID-19 list in the Federal Circuit Court and Family Court is a dedicated case management pathway. And for people whose contact has been frustrated by COVID-19 and people can get on a lot faster than they normally would. And one of the things that they can do as part of their case management protocol is they can also organise quite urgent court mediations as well. So people might not be able to negotiate an outcome, but when they're in that mediation setting, they might still be able to come to an agreement. And we would say it's always better for children if their parents are able to work out the arrangements rather than deferring it to a judge if that's at all possible. But of course, there are situations where that's not appropriate, such as where there's family violence. And again, it's going to require a very nuanced approach. So we'd say if people can't work it out between themselves, the first step is to get some legal advice to work out what the right option is for them to vary the arrangement. Thanks, Josh. So what would be one or two key messages you have for community workers who may have clients in these situations we've talked about today? I think the first thing to keep in mind is that we are in a pandemic at the moment. I think one of the things with that for parents is that they need to recognise that things are not going to be working the way that they normally would and that that's just a symptom of where we're in and safety is always going to come first. So obviously we've been talking a lot about a reasonable excuse, but I guess so we're on the same page. If you have been a casual contact or a, a close contact, then I think really the message is you just need to follow the health advice and you need to self-isolate and whether or not you've got a court order Your priority should be, I don't want to be exposing people to COVID-19, regardless of the risk of getting an infringement notice. But I guess the other thing is to try to be reasonable, try to work things out between the two of you. And I guess if, if that's not possible, try to get some legal advice around the issue as soon as you can so you can try and work it out. Because the longer things are in limbo, the longer that conflict perseveres, it can do its own sort of damage to your children. So those are my two key takeaways. And how do community workers refer clients to you? Yeah, glad you asked, Kerry. We do have a phone line. So on our website, which is on www.swslc.org.au. But at the moment, 
because we're having a lot of demand, like a lot of phone calls coming through, people are not always getting through on our phone lines. So probably what we'd recommend would be there's an online referral form available on our website. If you use that online form, that's probably the best way to refer someone to our service at the moment. And can people self-refer or do they need for that referral form? Does it is that only for organisations or can someone use that form to get a call back? People can contact us directly. So we do also have an email and sometimes people email us with queries as well. So that emails info at swslc.org.au. So we do have people directly contacting us and asking us for legal assistance too. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, Josh, for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedule. Do you have any final messages? I think the only thing I would say is that the rules around what you can and can't do are changing on a daily basis. So um, I would just be staying across that, looking on the New South Wales Health website, because it does change very frequently. So what I'm saying today may not even be relevant in a couple of weeks' time. So just double check. That's right. Although I think the general messages that you've given us are really useful in this time that we're living through with COVID-19. So thanks again and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, your colleagues and communities. To access any of the information spoken about in the episode, see the links in the show notes. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.